Hi, my name is Mark Vena of, of More Insights and Strategy. Welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all topics that are smart home, home automation, home security, and console gaming related. Today is Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020, and I'd like to use today's podcast to focus on a recap of yesterday's Apple uh, WWDC. What else is there really to talk about? Because that's going to be consuming all the oxygen in the world for the next uh, couple of weeks. For that spirited discussion, I'm happy to have two super tech journalists with me. John Quain, who is a frequent contributor to the New York Times and is an editor and, uh, of uh, ontheroadautonomy.com. And joining him is Stuart Walpin, tech writer for Laptop Magazine and Twice, a historian and the wonderful author of Bums No More, a great book about the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, championship 1955 season, a book that I have read and is close to my heart because my grandfather, as I think I told you, Stuart, um, was a big, big Brooklyn Dodgers fan and had an Italian food store. I think it was on Grand Avenue, a few blocks away from Flatbush. So um, you have, you, that book has a very special place in my uh, heart. But how are each of you today? How are you guys doing? Very good. Very good. Holding up just fine. Yeah. That's great. Stuart, I love your background. I think that's terrific. You know, it's very relaxing. There's the musical question, where have all the flowers gone? And that's a question we all should be asking ourselves from time to time. Uh, so first of all, uh, WWDC, you know, not, not a lot of big news was announced yesterday. It was actually kind of boring. You know, I actually wanted to watch an episode of Everyone Loves Raymond because really there was nothing else going on. Of course, I'm being very sarcastic. There was a lot of big news announced yesterday. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's... Uh, let me start off, actually, you know what, let me start off with you, John. What was your impressions before we get into the nitty gritty and you know, the, the three or four big things that you took away from it? Well, you know, it, it's, it was interesting because usually it's like a, a device focused thing. Consumers are really focused on a new MacBook Air or a new iPad or a new phone. And this time it was really about dumping Intel it was probably the biggest part of that. There were some cool, interesting features, I thought, that you know, showed recognition of more integration with automotive industry, for example. We'll, we'll talk about that, yep. Mm -hmm. and, and, and some things that they added there. Um, there was some catch up with some things that Android already has in many of its phones. So there was sort of filling in some gaps there with Translate and stuff. But the Intel, you know, switching the processor, that's no That's small a big deal. Thing. And, that, and yeah. that, there weren't a lot of details, you know. Um, the most interesting detail is it's not gonna be a quick transition. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still going to introduce some Intel-based products between now and like the next 12 months at least. Uh, but uh, they talked about native apps. Well, having been through that with, you know, Microsoft and various iterations of different Intel chips, that's not an easy thing either. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they make that transition. Stuart, your, your general impressions. Well, uh, it was a rather schizophrenic event as far as I'm concerned, because all the previous stuff that we saw was talking about how that they were going to dump Intel. But that's an incredibly inside baseball thing for consumers who, who have no idea what's inside these computers. They only want to know that they operate. So the other, so you had all of the feature updates, which I thought there were probably more of them. And WWDC has traditionally been a software uh, event. They mostly use it to, up, to tell you what's coming in the next versions of iOS and the next version of Mac OS and sometimes watch OS depending upon the, uh, the circumstances. So it was this very schizophrenic thing to me where they were telling consumers, here are some really cool features that you're going to get in the next update of iOS. 
Uh, and I think there were a couple of major things in there. Um, they, they did what I would call solving first world problems. Uh, for instance, my wife and I were very, very Jones about the ability to uh, interact in group tests individually and only get notifications when um, you're specifically mentioned in it. <laughs> that's so annoying when you're on a group text with your family and they're, the family's having this, you know, seven or eight people are having this conversation and every time somebody chimes in, you're getting pinged even though you have nothing right. to do with the conversation. It's not a big thing, totally first world problem. But I think a lot of people who do group tests are going to be very thankful for that little no, it's that little funny. Thing. It's funny because I've got a member of my family, a relative, that every time I do a group text of the entire family and it's, there's a joke or it's something that everybody else is chiming in and he's not chiming in, he'll say a message very tersely in, in uppercase text, please remove me from this okay. chain. You know, and, and you feel and you feel crappy after that. You feel, oh, I, I think I destroyed this this person's day. Exactly. So, and so I agree. Well, that's that's a feature that could change thing. the world, John. It was this tiny little thing that's in there, but I have this feeling that this will resonate with a lot of people who are constantly finding themselves on these big group decks who don't really want to be in the group desk and yet don't want to insult anybody by telling me what your cousin did. But, but John, you know what I will uh, John, what I'll say to you, and I'll say you to, to, to address the comment you just made. In all fairness to Apple, you know, WWDC, true, it's a, it's a developer conference. It's not really right. aimed for end users. Right. It's gotten this folklore over the last five years where the entire world stops, you know, and it's reported on the mainstream news, not just online, but on uh, news broadcasts uh, during the day. It's happened, it's happened for the last, I, probably since the iPhone got announced. And, you know, it, it, it's got to be tough for Apple because they really are trying to speak to the developers. They're trying to set the roadmap. Here's what the new operating systems are going to look like. And we'll get into that in a second. But, you know, I, and, and all, you know, my mother called me. My mother in the middle of the, the thing called me and said, Mark, you're telling me that my Apple Watch is going to help me wash my hands and tell me when my, I wash my – now, believe it or not, I think that's actually a pretty interesting feature. But, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's like a lot of little things, and John, we'll get back to your point about it's in many respects catch up to Android in many areas. Right. And Apple still has this. What I love about Apple is that they could be asleep at the wheel for two or three years with features they don't have that others have, and there's many examples. Is then they announce it, and then they pretend that they have, that, that they indeed have invented it. They'll take complete credit for it. Right. You know, and that requires I'll use a New York word a lot of chutzpah, but they're good at that. You know. But um, let's talk, John, for a second about, because the fe feature that I was intrigued with, and Tesla's had it for some time, is the whole keyless entry using your smartphone. What are your thoughts on that? And the fact that, by the way, you have to buy a, a $55,000 BMW 5 Series to get that feature, you know, that, that, that's kind of a little bit of a, a, a wet, wag, a wet rag on, on the whole appeal, but your thoughts. Right. I mean, it's a, um, you have to buy that to get a lot of different features, but <laughs> you know, it, it's something that Volvo and other people have had before, you know, Tesla came around too. And, and it's something that people have demonstrated for a long time. Um, you know, like you can basically park your BMW too using your, you know, the fob before Tesla thought that was an idea as well. So it, that stuff has been around. It's just, I think what, 
you know, it, it uses NFC, which is an unusual approach to it. You know, other people have tried Bluetooth and other ways of doing it with a smartphone. Um, so NFC is not common in terms of those vehicles being built in. So that's, that's a, a feature you'd have to add, a piece of hardware you'd actually have to right. add to the vehicle. Mm. So that, that's one problem with it. Um, I, you know, I have, <laughs> I'm of two minds about it. One is it's a great feature if you also have your key fob. You know, it's one of those things that you'll use maybe instead of it. Will you get rid of it? Probably not the best idea. Um, quick, quick analogy. I have a house in the country. I have about 40 smart devices on it. So all the door locks are smart door locks, right? One night I arrived late at night. It had been, the house had been sending me messages. I kind of ignored it. Anyway, I'm out on the porch close the door behind me, all of a sudden I see a skunk, go to open the door behind me to get back in, it's locked and it can't open. The reason, because the batteries died in the door and I didn't pay attention to that happening. Mm -hmm. And now I'm stuck outside in the middle of the night with a skunk coming up the front porch. So, you know, it all sounds really convenient until something like that happened. And it's inevitable that something like that will happen. Um, but I do think, you know, we're, we're going there. It's a step in the right direction eventually. That's sort of the way it goes. Uh, but NFC getting into the door handles in the car is going to be quite a while. I mean, it's going to take a while, but I like that approach. I also like, you know, the bicycle directions. Look, that's a feature that's been in Google Maps for, I don't know how long, you know, years, a long, long time. But it's recognition that, hey, mobility's changing, and hey, in the post-pandemic era, we're going to be biking more, you know, there, there's some of the options that you're going to need to have more options, and they've recognized it finally and put it in, to the iOS 14 and that's gonna be a tremendous convenience. I think that's, you know, just helps move it along. Even though, yes, you're right. And it's been in other devices for a long, long time. Well, and, and Stuart, I wanna direct this question to you is that the, the interesting to me, thing to me is that uh, when you look at, you know, what Apple accomplishes at, at, at events like this, uh, the intriguing thing to me is that when they roll these features out and they talk to customers, um, you know, the, the different groups within Apple represents all different types of constituencies. I mean, uh, there is just different groups that obviously, I mean, bringing the, 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 the 300 little features to these operating systems requires a lot of work and, and, and activity from the different groups. And, you know, the, the category that obviously that's close to my heart is the smart home category. And I finally saw a lot of love being given to HomeKit, which has kind of been a kind of a red-haired second-hand deal within Apple um, for a whole variety of different reasons. You know, whether they were serious about it, you know, it's kind of bumbled right. along. But they finally got, I think, some really good traction with some of the things they want to do uh, with the enhancements to HomeKit and their support of the um, Home Connected over IP initiative that I think is a big deal that will bring some order to the whole smart home field. But What's intriguing is that he that that piece of the of the of the presentation of the keynote came in about an hour into it, about a half an hour before you know the eleven o'clock number. You know Tim Cook delivered the whole um, Intel transition news, and you almost had a feel that the audience now has completely forgotten everything that's been presented up until that point in time. You know there was because there was a lot of good stuff, and then you know uh, Tim Cook drops the bomb, which the worst kept secret in technology. Uh, news in the last uh, probably several months or years when you think back about the rumors that have gone back about Apple, you know, being rumored to um, embracing their own silicon. But what, what, we, what are your thoughts on other big things that were kind of uncovered, frankly, during the event? Well, this, on the smart home thing, I wish they would have spent much more time talking about 
that partnership with Google and Amazon, the other thing. The mm. problem that Apple has had is, is that they are way behind mm -hmm. uh, on the smart home. Smart home really does rely on a very large, not only a large ecosystem, but a large distribution ecosystem. So you could go to almost any electronics or mass merchant in the United States and find Amazon related products and Google related products, but not Apple because Apple's restricted either to the Apple in-store stores in Best Buy or a couple of other places and their own stores. So Apple is, and, and the HomePod, was not only late to the game in terms of smart speakers, but was missing a lot of key features. When and not ready. And out. not ready for. And not ready for prime time. Not when it ready was announced. for prime time mm -hmm. yet. So the mm -hmm. fact that they're partnering with Amazon and Google is more to Apple's benefit than it is to Amazon and Google's. That's the first thing. Uh, so how that's all going to work out, I don't know. I have a mix of things in the house that I'm always playing with, and Apple always seems to be lagging behind in terms of getting these things all hooked, you know, getting their, their message out there, essentially, for what they want to accomplish with, with smart home that is different or better than what Amazon yeah. or Google well, is let, So let me stop you for a second, because when you think about it, though, you know, Apple has always been about the walled garden, the controlled mm -hmm. ecosystem. And in many ways, the smart home uh, play, the smart home world runs counter to the way Apple typically operates. Apple wants to control every device and, and their defense would be, we want to maximize, optimize the experience. We can only do that if we control every piece of, um, well, of hardware. Amazon so, has actually been trying to do that also mm -hmm. to, to a lesser, not, not to the extent that, that uh, Apple is, but obviously Google is the wide open part and that's the biggest problem because you have to go through all these different steps in order to get something. If it's not a Google device, you have to tell a device that then tells the Google speaker to tell your device that it's, it's this roundabout system because it's an open system where right. Amazon is sort of adopting Apple sort of walled garden because it makes that direct communication a little easier. It still has some of those talk to one device that talks to another device issues and, and the boiling down inside the Amazon uh, setup, you know, to set it up, it's sometimes a little convoluted, a lot mm -hmm. more than Apple. But the problem is that Apple simply doesn't have its products out there where people can see them. They haven't spent a whole lot of time marketing home kit. So how much they're going to be able to catch up on this? is is an open question and it's interesting that during the pandemic one of the best-selling products that had been out there had been smart speakers because now everybody's home to play with these things yes. so mm -hmm. other than tv smart speakers are selling like like smart speakers they're selling like like hotcake so it's an opportunity for apple but i haven't seen them this is the first thing i've seen from apple that will that is trying to take advantage of this number one. Number two, I had heard that they were coming out with a new HomePod. Did either of you hear anything a about a low, a low, a low cost one, a smaller yeah, and low cost they, one? Yeah, they didn't no, say no. anything about that. They didn't say anything about AR, which has been a feature Big part of the WWDC. For the last few years, there wasn't a word about AR, and they didn't mention 5G in relation to iOS 14. So I was very, very surprised that. One of the biggest selling items in the market they didn't mention. They didn't mention something that's supposedly going to be a star of their show and that has been a 
big part of previous WWDCs, and they didn't mention the one thing in, in phoning that is everybody else in the industry is talking about. So mm -hmm. what I think was important about this event was not what they talked about, but what they didn't, they didn't talk, talk about. about right? <laughs> and, well, and that's, and that's, cl that's classic Apple. I mean, and I, because the topic I want to tee up right now, because we're gonna, I'm sure we'll talk about it for at least five, at least five minutes or so, is the whole big news about the transition to Apple Silicon. And right. you know what, what was fascinating to me, just to put my thoughts out there on the table real quick, is that I love the, the brand name Apple Silicon. That was intriguing. They never mentioned the word ARM at all during the presentation. Right. Because, and right. to your point, I, I it's about, what, about, it's about what they don't mention, right? And it seemed to me, uh, because I have been involved in, you know, in, in architectural changes, not architectural changes, but the, the transition to a alternative processor. We did that when I was at Compaq. We went from Intel to AMD, which right. was much less complex. And, you know, that was going from x86. We were, we were staying with x86. It right. was just a different um, vendor for the silicon. What Apple's doing is on the magnitude, John, of going from PowerPC to Intel and the whole right. emulation, you got to protect the code base, but they spent a lot of time trying to put people at ease that, hey, once this, this is, this is going to be such a wonderful change for the, for the consumer or, or for, the, for the, the, the Mac user, software is going to be optimized right out of the gate, Big Sur is going to have all their, you know, the, the uh, embedded apps or the, the, the included apps uh, uh, um, optimized right out of the gate. All your software will work just as well, you know, uh, with Rosetta, although they didn't talk too much about performance. You know, software typically that software that's running in emulation mode typically doesn't run as well as as a as a as a general rule. But what do you, what John? What's your thoughts on the whole? The what are the big things that came out of the transition thing? And and more importantly, to John's to to uh, Stewart's question about what things they didn't announce and they didn't talk about because I think that is equally as a, as important. Right. I mean, I certainly would have emphasized more things that have more sort of real world implications like contact tracing and, and, and how that's sort of taking over how most people agree. That's probably the only solution. And, and that's, that's really positive, important stuff. And that's for developers and, and the privacy issues. I think that really goes to things that they should have talked about, but the, in terms of the Silicon, you know, a few years ago, Intel almost became a fabulous, um, company, you know, they that a few years ago they were getting divesting themselves of fabrication plants. Everybody was doing that. Global Foundry was like one of going to be one of the last remaining standing. Um, nobody was building them, and it, it just wasn't as cost effective as as people would like. Um, but you're right. This isn't just recompiling the programs. It's not like you just take it and recompile it and run it on the other. But they made it sound muscle. like that. They made it sound like someone's going to take Adobe Premiere and in three hours, hey, we have a brand new op optimized version that works with um, uh, Apple Silicon. And right. we all know the real world doesn't operate that. Well, like and they that. did run some, the interesting thing too is having watched, having to be in these virtual demos now. It's one thing when you do it on stage in front of me and you can manipulate things and kind of cheat a little bit on some of the things you do and what it's plugged into, but you still have to run that machine. And we've seen lots of demo fails in our time. But yes. when you recorded it like this, it means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because yeah. they were running it saying, well, look how well it's running. I mean, it's pre-recorded tape. You're not demo anything to anybody so and they didn't talk John, about are you telling me that apple would have the the the, the, the temerity <laughs> to, to edit video are you telling me that no but there was also you know it was hilarious because usually 
you know, for developers like that too, you talk about the architecture. Look, we have architected this with like hyper threading and different cores and, you know, sandboxing and blah, at least give me something. And they gave us nothing. They didn't talk at all about the architecture. They didn't make any argument about why, except that just things would be better running on their chip, but they didn't explain why at any, in any way. Now, right. you know, look, in, to developers, and I'm not one, uh, you know, maybe they gave a lot more detail, I would hope so. But so it was more like, gee, we're just kind of tired of relying on somebody else for our chips. It wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of meat there, sort of. Yeah, and you know, they, they didn't answer questions like, well, there, are there gonna be variants of this new, um, Desk, you know, call it client-based uh, uh, silicon. You know, like for example, you buy an Intel-based PC. There's right. different clock speeds and different flavors. It's hard for me to believe they're going to come out with just one, you know, level of silicon for their entire Mac Mini and iMac lineup. So I, I, I that probably wouldn't happen. No. Um, and the other question I think that I just got to get up, get off my chest is that they never mentioned the word Windows. They did talk about well, you know, Office is being optimized to work on. Apple Silicon, but they never said, they said Linux, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Oh, we think we have Linux will run right. in a virtual manner without any problem. But, you know, what about bootcamp? I mean, there, were, there are a lot of IT people that bought iMacs because they could run both Windows and in native fashion because you can reboot. It's not virtual. Parallels is for virtual, but right. not clear to me, you know, where the, what the path is there, you know, but uh, although I think I read an article the other day that only about 15% of Apple users actually use bootcamp. It's actually a very small percentage, but they like the, I guess they like the flexibility. Right. Stuart, your thoughts on the whole Intel, well, uh, kicking, the things, Intel to, kicking Intel to the corner. One of the things that keeps nagging in the back of my brain is not necessarily the hardware. And quite frankly, I can't wait to be able to run iOS apps on my, on my desktop. You know, I'm, I'm, you know there, are, there are certain iOS games and I hate to even talk about playing games. I'm a Scrabble freak, and I would just can't wait to be able to play Scrabble on my laptop. But the thing that I'm haunted by, you mentioned that I'm, I, I do some tech history, was the debacle when Microsoft introduced Windows, uh, Windows CE. Oh, which God. was now, now you're going back. Windows. You are a historian. Right. You are a historian. And importing Windows onto phones. Their their yes, first yes. attempt at these smartphones. And it was the disaster because Windows was obviously not designed for the mobile space. And so I'm haunted that Apple is going to try to combine Mac OS and iOS and create a singular or closest, in, in other words, what they did with iOS, they made an iPad version of iOS. Is there a plan to make a either a Mac iOS or a Mac iOS? In other words, is there, a, is, is there going to be, a, at some point, a merging of the Mac and iOS systems into a single code OS that will run on base. all of these devices? Now, for laptops, I don't know that that's a problem because if they ever put a touchscreen on a MacBook, then obviously that makes sense. Or if they lose their MacBook and this design, an iPad that double, you know, that doubles as a, a laptop or some variation thereof, with mm -hmm. so few people actually using desktops, you could actually isolate or segregate the desktop only for the, the slice of users that still use desktop almost as a professional OS and switch everything else to a single operating system across laptops, 
iPad, and phone. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but it's just that they're doing the switch. They want to sort of integrate all of the functionality and integrate this, the, the applications. And it, it's sort of like, that seems to me the, the other shoe. Right. That they well, would simply combine no, them all I, with the consumer. Stuart, I agree with it. I think uh, iOS and I call it iOS slash iPad OS and Mac OS, they're on a collision course. I, I think that it's now that collision course may not happen for three, four years. Right. But I think when you think about it from an operational standpoint, the, the, because you got to remember there are disparate teams working on the different operating systems at Apple. The resource operational efficiency they would gain by bringing that code base together, mm -hmm. you know, at an end game is enormous. I mean, yep. so I agree with you. And I think honestly, the iPad for years, they've been for the last call it three, four years, has been trending toward as a desktop, not a desktop, but a laptop. Laptop replacement. Right. I, I'm still not there personally, although I, there's, it's a lot further down the path than it used to be. Yep. Uh, but they've added mouse support, there's trackpad support, there's now multi-window support. I mean, there's a lot of things about uh, iPad OS now that if I was on a desert island with a solar charger, I could probably live with my iPad for some time to write my memoirs. But, I'm, but there's still things about the desktop clamshell orientation and a laptop that are still very familiar with people. And you gotta remember, and, and again, it also might be generational in that, you know, we all grew up on the laptop, you know, keyboard, mouse, usage model orientation. Users that have been around for, that are, are 20 years old today, that are much more familiar with the, uh, with the touch experience, they might be more, uh, less, uh, less averse frankly, from walking away uh, well, the, from a clamshell all, te all technology is generational. From the very, very beginning, all te you, you have a generation of people who are inculcated to a certain set of technologies, and then when you move to the next set, it's very hard for that generation to learn it, but very easy for that upcoming generation to adopt it. There's this old story that, that dates back in five or 10 years even, of somebody seeing a child, and when iPad first became widely popular, that somebody saw this four or five-year-old child leafing through a physical magazine and tapping the pages, expecting something to happen. Right. And so that, whether or not that's apocryphal or not, I don't know. But <laughs> that it's an illustration of how generational technology is. That if you are born into a generation where this is the only technology you know, to your point, if you're born into an era where touchscreen is normal, then why would you want to touch a keypad? So, that expl so Stuart, that explains why Joe Biden is so attached to LP records. <laughs> well, there, there, there are a lot of people still attached to LP records, <laughs> but are. I mean, if they're, Apple has always been very, very <laughs> deliberate, and, mm. and as much as they have led in the hardware, they have followed in a lot of other ways, and, and 5G is that latest one. 5G has been out in phones for two years already, and they still haven't gotten an IG, an, an I, a, a 5G iPhone. iPhone. And, and the same thing happened with 4, 4G LTE. They were also late to that dance. Um, they still haven't gotten a touchscreen laptop, essentially, although the, that's what the iPad seems to be transitioning to. So I think iPad, Apple has been taking this generational approach, understanding that, gener that technologies are adopted generationally. And by taking their time, they're making sure that when they get into the market, the people, the generation, the, the critical mass of, of users 
are hungry for it, not ready for it, but are hungry for it. For it. And I think 5G is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Everybody's been hearing about 5G and now, oh, I can now get an iPhone with 5G as opposed to, oh, Apple has a 5G iPhone, but there's no 5G available. Right. So I think so, Apple has been much more deliberate than a lot of other people give them credit for. So in, in the just a few minutes we have left here, I, I, I'm going to ask both of you this question. John, yeah. are you going to be one of the first guys to buy an Apple Silicon iMac or MacBook? Or are you going to wait six months to see if all the kinks are worked out? Probably not. You know, it, you know the, the thing that is interesting about hardware was, you know, Stuart's right. Initially in this business, we were so oriented to the hardware. Every upgrade, every x86 chip that went, you know, we needed more and more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. That's not the case anymore. It's really not the case that you need a faster laptop. It's rare, maybe, you know, if you're doing a lot of video editing and stuff. And actually, even for video editing now, they're pretty much, you know, it's not bad. No. So, um, you know, the demonstrations of Photoshop and the things that they tried to cite in the demonstration were like, yeah, but you know what? It's pretty fast. But, but to John, to that point, though, you can really credit Apple for that because up until the, the um, iPhone was announced back in 2007, and which seems like a million years ago, no one really, you know, people did care about clock speeds. I mean, you were just kind of trained. Right. You know, Microsoft comes out a new operating system. It's generally more bloated. I mean, I need, I need more CPU horsepower to run it properly. Right. And for probably now a decade, you know, when you go out and buy a smartphone or a tablet, you could care less. I mean, you do care. I mean, if Apple was on this call. They would say, Mark, we, you know, the, the, the right. latest silicon we have in our iPhone is the greatest thing of all time. And I concede that, you know, this, they have made tremendous progress in the, uh, the, uh, performance, the battery management, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I give them credit for all of that. But the reality is that there's only one flavor. When you buy the latest iPhone or the latest uh, iPad, you're getting the, the latest piece of silicon they, they have out there. And you're really not that focused really on, well, you know, maybe I should wait until another year ago when they have another, an, another uh, iterative iteration of, of the latest faster performing silicon. No, so I, I, think, I, I, I think you're right about that. You know, well, the question, the, the question will be is, does, does that behavior translate into people who are buying Mac, uh, MacBooks and desktops who have been think, trained for 35 years by Intel? Hey, you got to get the fastest CPU out there, you know, and, you know, clock speed is important, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't yeah. know. I'm not, I, I don't know if I, if I can predict, uh, predict how consumers are going to react. I don't think that's a thing anymore. The thing that people complain about is storage space. Why the heck am I limited on this device to only this much? They say, well, you know, we'll give you like half a terabyte. I need four terabytes. <laughs> Most people, that's not enough, right? So we're not really whining about the speed anymore. It's, it's sort of practical like that. Uh, I do think to Stuart's point about the interface, there was some acknowledgement about voice. They're, they're clearly making efforts to improve voice recognition in their products and that's actually a critical thing you'll see people they're not they're texting but not really texting anymore they're actually speaking into their phone to have it send a text so the accuracy of that trying to improve siri and make siri faster um you know some of these acknowledgements and and stuff with the watch where that's a you know to me an untapped resource especially now when we're so focused on health issues and you can see all these different ways in which that technology can be applied and so i thought like i know it's only been you know they're gonna you're gonna see more from that area i think in the future i think there's a lot but more. john you still didn't answer my question are you gonna go out and buy i'm afraid you, not 
And I've got my 5G phones. I've got like three of them here. As to Stuart's point, I got three 5G phones. I really don't see, you know, I don't see the need for it. I, I mean, I do like some features of, uh, of iOS 14. Is that where we're at now? Um, yep. I thought there were some, there's some cool things like we mentioned, Stuart mentioned a couple of them. So yeah, if I couldn't upgrade my phone to the new iOS, then maybe that might push me to buy a new one. But um, not a lot grabbed me yet. Yeah. Stuart, let me flip the question to you. Would you go out, do you have the guts to use your own <laughs> personal money to buy an iMac or a MacBook with the new um, Apple Silicon when it rolls hey, man, out? Are you I, gonna wait? I'm a tech reporter. I am averse to spending my own money on technology. Where this is concerned, that it, 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 it's not a yes or no question because I only, um, I, I have gotten finally into the habit, it took me years to figure this out, to overbuy when I bought my computers. Yes. I used to buy, oh, only what I could afford, and I'll buy the, the minimalist, and realize within a year, I was, it was used to right. It was out of gas, right. It was out of gas, right. So I went to the other way and bought the best thing that I could buy so I could stall off having to buy a new computer for several years. So the last time my laptop and my desktop are both from 2016, and they're both fine. Um, I keep them, I'm a serial updater, so they're always up to date. You know, I've, I've had several things replaced by Apple for nothing because they always seem to be under warranty somehow. Um, um, so when those come out, it will be, bitten, it won't, the performance won't mean anything. As in all technology, people will upgrade when you make it more convenient. Convenience has always been the number one, by a wide margin, reason for people to buy something new. And if they can make that convenience compelling enough, either for a desktop or a or laptop, depending upon what condition my current rigs are in, I may very well buy one. But it would have to be a compelling case, and my current equipment would have to be coughing up blood. <laughs> now, I have one other thing I would like to raise because I know the time is growing short. And one thing that yes. we discuss, since we are all in technology, I'm going to guess that a lot of us are also science fiction fans. And one of the things that was I was most excited about at that announcement was Foundation. I'm a huge Isaac Asimov fan, and they've been trying to make the Foundation um, series into television or a movie for decades and to finally see actual clips they looked a little over the top to me quite frankly a little less concentrated on story and a little more on special effects but i'm hoping considering his daughter is one of the exec producers that they're going to do a a good job at producing this series because fans sci-fi fans this is one of the most famous series and has been a huge influence by the way on yeah. science fiction in general and the fact that they haven't gotten around to this yet, a lot of science fiction fans, I think, are very excited about seeing Foundation. No, I'm a big sci-fi sci guy myself. And that one series that they've done about the alternative uh, moon landing history series, and I forget the name. Uh, um, For All Mankind. For All Mankind is absolutely very well done. And if you're a history buff, too, because they, mm -hmm. they change different historical events based on... Yes. Yeah, based on certain things that happen, it's just a great watch. But uh, I think that we're going to have to wrap it up. But this yeah. is a terrific conversation, guys. Really, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, thanks to the entire More Insights and Strategy audience. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
please follow us on our usual social media suspect partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week.